0: Hello and welcome to the Swift Coders podcast, where each week we interview an amazing Swift developer about their experience with Apple's new open source programming language. We hear their stories, learn their tips and tricks, and try to leave you feeling inspired and empowered on your Swift Coder journey. I'm your host, Garrick, and today's guest is Josh Brown. Josh is the founder of the iOS consulting company, Roadfire Software, and he's also the author of Parsing, JSON, and Swift. Welcome to the show, Josh. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. How's it going?
1: Good, good. I'm
0: doing well. How are you? I am good. I am in sunny Southern California. Actually, haven't looked outside yet, but I think it is sunny.
1: And awesome.
0: uh, yeah, it's just a nice weekend. Gonna go, I don't know, maybe we're gonna go to uh, Ikea. I don't know if we're gonna have enough time, but uh, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I don't know if you know, that's a reference to that one movie. What's it called? Oh, I can't remember. I don't with, know. Uh, w- with Will Ferrell? <laughs> with Will Ferrell? Anyways.
1: Yeah. So how about you? Where are you? I'm in Indianapolis, Indiana.
0: Old school. That's what it's called. Yes. <laughs> uh, Indiana. Nice. I think yeah. I've been to Indiana one time. Uh, Bloomington?
1: Bloomington. Blo- yeah, yeah. Bloomington. That's not far away yeah. from here.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I went to the school there. There's a university yeah. there.
1: Indiana University.
0: Yep. Yeah. Uh, in Bloomington. So like there's two Indiana universities, right? Uh, there's like one in one city, one in another or something like that? Oh,
1: uh, maybe. I'm not sure actually. Okay. <laughs> I think there so. There's definitely so, one in Bloomington.
0: And I went to the one in Bloomington. Yeah. Cause my friend went to law school there. So I drove okay, from, cool. we drove from LA to Bloomington. Wow. Um, we stopped along the way. And, okay. Uh, yeah. I helped him like move into his law school, like, but, you know, situation over there.
1: Yeah. That's cool. a long drive. How long have you been in Indiana? Uh, I've been here for uh, right around five years. Nice, cool. Mm-hmm. What are you doing over there? Uh, well, I'm working. Um, I, uh, I have a family, a wife, and three kids, um, and I do iOS development. So, that's yeah. awesome.
0: Yeah. So, tell us about that. You do. You are the the founder, and I'm assuming maybe even the principal. Of Roadfire software. So, what is a Roadfire? Can you explain us, you know, just explain that to us? Like, what is Roadfire? What do you guys do, and like, what do you do every day?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, it's a consulting company, um, and we do iOS development for clients, um, either here in the Indianapolis area or really anywhere in the world. I've worked with clients in Germany, um, in Boston, uh, and various places around the world. So. Um, the company is just me, although I have hired on contractors as needed um, to help me get things done. But uh, the main focus is on consulting, and then uh, I've also spent some of my time uh, writing books and things like that to help teach other people iOS development.
0: Okay, so you're actually building software for companies that's, you know, that right. are being used in the real world. But in your spare time, or not spare time, but also in your, you know, your time, you're creating materials and resources for, for people. Right, yep. Okay. When did you start doing that?
1: Um, I started the company in 2010, and at that point, it was entirely focused on consulting. I've started doing um, the blogging and writing books and things like that a little more recently. Um, probably in the last couple of years, I started doing a little more of that and a little less consulting.
0: Okay. And then in terms of like the clients, like would you say it's like, you know, local businesses or is it, you know, foreign companies or nationwide companies or is it all over the board? Like, what's a typical kind of client that you might be building an app for? Or what's like a kind of app that you might be building?
1: Yeah, so I've done a lot of work with startups. Um, so, uh, and these have been um, either in the area or one client was in Boston, like I said. Um, but uh, they have an idea for an app. Um, they want to build maybe a platform to um, help people. One of my clients in the past um, wanted to help people get healthier by tracking the food they eat. So it was a food logging app where you, you know, put in all the foods that you've had throughout the day. And then the app gave you recommendations on what you should eat for your next meal to get maybe some more vitamin A or vitamin C or whatever you're missing. So wow, okay. that was a fun one.
0: Wow. So how much iOS experience would you say you have? It sounds like you said you started the company in 2010, so that's at yeah, least six years.
1: Right. So um, I started doing iOS just a little bit before that. Um, it was early 2010 that I started iOS development, and then awesome. middle of 2010 I founded the company. So. Okay,
0: awesome. And then mm-hmm. uh, how long have you been working with Swift for? Uh,
1: since it came out, so awesome. I guess that's about two years, a little over two years now, right? Awesome.
0: Okay. Well, I want to get into iOS and Swift and all that um, specifically in a little bit, but I love to learn about my guests. I love to learn about, you know, where you uh, guys and gals came from. Like, uh, you know, for me, programming didn't start till very recently. And so, I don't know, it's just interesting to hear about other people's stories. Um, a lot of the people I interview, um, you know, they have been programming for a long time, um, but some people not. And I think it's really important for the listeners to understand where... Uh, the guests where are these where you know you guys come from because I uh, would just want to get that across that like there isn't just this same programmer you know you can come from anything just like me I came from a legal background I talk to people who come from all different backgrounds and they're getting into it now so the general point is like you can do it too uh, my feeling though is Josh has been programming for a really long time uh, is that correct
1: <laughs> and that's correct yeah it's been a while so how did you get your start um so my first experience with programming was when I was in sixth grade, and um, I took this class where we started. Um, we learned how to program using Logo and moving the turtle around the screen. Um, so you may be familiar with that. Um, in after after we did some like learned some of the commands and things to get the turtle to move around the screen, we then. Um, built Legos. And there was some way to interface like this logo programming language with uh, Legos that you built. And so we built this little car that had a motor in it and was attached to the computer. And so we programmed it to like actually move this car, this little Lego car around a track in the real world. So that was a lot of fun for me.
0: Wow. How did you find that? How did you get that? How did you have access to that?
1: Um, so that was at, just at my school. Um, I went to a really small school in, uh, a public school in Ohio and I don't know, the teacher there was just really great and, uh, thought that we, you know, we'd all benefit from doing this. So.
0: Have you seen that new Netflix show, Stranger Things?
1: Uh, I haven't, no.
0: Okay. Well, in that show, there's like the main characters are these like young kids who are like really smart and they have a teacher who's like really nice and encouraging and like Helps mm-hmm. them, you know, they get them a ham radio and stuff like that. So that's what that reminds me of. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's great that you were lucky. You know, not that not everybody has that when they're growing up, like right. an awesome school or or an awesome mm-hmm. teacher at the school that um, you know is interested in that kind of stuff or even maybe forward thinking. Okay, yeah. so you're playing with this little robotic um, Lego car. It sounds like right. uh, that's yep. connected to the computer. You're programming yeah. it. How does that lead to you, you know, now being the founder of your own consulting <laughs> company?
1: Yeah, so, um, so that, like I said, was in sixth grade, um, and that was just the one class, and then I didn't actually do any programming from then through, um, through high school. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, um, so like once I was in high school, um, we had, like the only real option we had for um, computer classes was like a computer applications class, And so during that class, I did just a little bit of HTML and um, CSS. And I really, really enjoyed that, too. So um, that's basically the reason that I decided to major in computer science um, when I started college, uh, because that's all the experience I really had with anything even programming related. So
0: what do you think it was at that time you were doing some HTML? You hadn't programmed in a while. What do you think it was at that time that, you know, made you realize, wait, I actually want to keep doing this?
1: Um, I think uh, what was really cool for me was, like, just typing these strange characters into a text editor and then, you know, loading this page in my browser and seeing the stuff that I had just, you know, typed in there and tried to make it do. Um, That's just really cool to me, to be able to Type some commands and have a computer or a phone or whatever um, do something as a result. So
0: exactly, and I think I agree with that totally. That's how I feel, and I think a lot of people feel that way. So if you're out there, you're listening, and you're you're starting to feel that too, it might mean that you're onto something. Um, if you get excited to just you know type in some words and see your results immediately, and you get excited for that, you might be onto something. So just like Josh and I, all mm-hmm. right. So you end up uh, majoring in computer science. Right. How did that
1: go? Um, it went relatively well. Um, I felt most of the time I felt like I was behind everyone else um, because I hadn't really done much programming before. I knew some basic HTML, but um, other people had taken computer science classes in high school and things like that. So um, I think it was a little bit of a struggle at first, especially like seeing how all these people like just get everything already and I'm like what like I don't understand what a loop is or what a conditional statement means or any of that stuff so um I yeah uh, I think a lot
0: of people feel that way I definitely feel that way still even um and definitely when I was just starting out um people there's always going to be somebody that's better right Right, I mean until you're I guess Michael Phelps, and like, you're the champion of the world, or Simon Biles, or Simone Biles, or whatever, right? Yeah, right. Um, so how do you, like, what did you do? How did you sort of, um, just, you know, get over that? Because I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that feel the same way.
1: Right. So, um, so I had decided to major in this, and I was still enjoying it. I just, like I said, I felt like I was kind of behind everyone. Um, I don't really think I necessarily put in any extra work or anything. I just kept doing the work, you know, do the homework, show up for class, stuff like that. And um, eventually things started to click, and I, um, you know, started to, to get, like, all of these weird foreign concepts. Um, and so I think it was really just a matter of, like, committing at the beginning. Like, I, I want to do this. I'm going to do this. And then just pushing through and, and going with it.
0: Yeah, you're totally right. Actually, I write those exact words in this guide I put up, um slash mm-hmm. guide. Like, you have to decide, and then you just stick to it. And at some point, right. it'll click. And not everything right. will click all at once, but um, over time, it, it will click. And so, like, I just had a meetup uh, like last week, and there was a few beginners there, but we were talking about a slightly advanced topic. Like, we were talking about functional reactive MVVM, and I told these people, I said, "Look, just let it." let yourself be exposed to this stuff trust me it's not going to click right now but eventually it will and uh that's yeah i think that's great advice for sure Mm -hmm. and so that's cool that it worked for you um i think i think that type of mentality of just sticking with it like don't worry that that you know you maybe you're not getting it right now just stick with it and eventually you'll get it all right so did you end up graduating or how did that did
1: yeah um I uh I did relatively well in most of my classes. Um one of them was particularly hard for me and I actually ended up getting a C in it. But overall dun, my dun, GPA dun. was like yeah. <laughs> Overall, my GPA was like a 3.5, so it was okay, Um, but uh, yeah, that that one class was just like really hard. It was a networking class, and that one too, like I just, things weren't clicking, and I was doing the work, I was showing up for class and stuff like that, and I don't know, I just, I never really uh, fully grasped what was going on there, but... Um, like I said, I made it through. I graduated um, and then got a job uh, programming after school so what was that was
0: that your first job? What was it?
1: Yeah, so my first job um after college was programming um, and um, so it was it was for a small consulting company um, or actually <laughs> it started out as a small consult consulting company. Um, while I was still in school, they came and recruited at um, my school, Miami University. And um, a couple of my friends worked there. Um, they were a year older than me in school. So um, they went to work there and then uh, recommended me and some of our other friends, too. Um, so I got an offer from this small consultant company, and I was really excited to work for them. And then uh, it turned out that before I even started working there, Uh, they were acquired by this giant consulting company. And so I never did get to work for the the little consulting company. I just, right when I got out of school, it was this, you know, this very, very large consulting company. Okay,
0: there's a couple things in there. One is never underestimate the power of networking and friends. I mean, that's how I got my job. It seems like that's how you got yours. So you're just kind of stuck in your you know, your little room or your bubble, like definitely get out there, whether it's online and and meeting people or through a podcast or through meetups, like out in the real world, definitely. Okay, so how was that then? You were expecting one thing, you are excited uh, for this one thing, and then all of a sudden it was a different thing, which actually it's like, I think that's a very normal thing sometimes. it's The details might be different, but like you go into something expecting one thing and it turns out to be another, and like, what do you do? How did you handle that?
1: Yeah. Um so there were good things and bad things about um this larger company. Um one of the good things was uh well, first of all, they uh they allowed me to like still work there. Like they didn't take back the offer when they acquired this small consulting company. That was so they good. actually ended up, yeah, they made me the same offer that the small company had. Um so that was cool. Um, They had uh, great benefits, much better than the small uh, company did, um, because they're a bigger company and they can do that. It's easier for them to provide better benefits, I think. So that was cool. Um, And then uh, what was cool for me, too, was um, just getting to work um, for their clients. Um, So uh, my first client, um, I... I learned so much more uh, in the like three or four months that I was there than I did in four years of school just because I was there on the job like programming every day and around a lot of other people who um, knew a whole bunch about development. So right, um, right. that was really cool too.
0: So what, was, what were you expecting like that it was gonna be this small kind of environment um, in like maybe different kind of clients but then it looks like it turned out to be really cool. Like maybe you had a different kind of client or there was more people you were working with.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I don't, yeah, I don't really know much about like the difference between their clients or anything like that, but for sure, um, just having, a this, this bigger company and like bigger network of people, um, that I could ask questions and things like that. Um, with, uh, my consulting company, um, I mentioned that the first client I worked for, um, I was there for three or four months and then, um, along with me there were I think seven or so other people from my consulting company. Um, So I just had like you know seven people that I could ask questions and things like that that could help me along and we felt like this sort of camaraderie because there are you know the eight of us there at this client but we all work for the same uh, consulting company.
0: So this type of a job where you're a programmer for a consulting company, Mm -hmm. I'm sure it can work in different ways but it sounds like in your case you actually go on site and work right. at the client's office?
1: Right, that's what I did then, yep. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, cool. Yeah, I think I've seen a little bit of that before. Okay, so you're working for this consulting company. How does mm-hmm. that lead to where you are now?
1: Yeah, um, so I worked for that consulting company for about three years. Um, and then uh, I, at that point I decided that um, I wanted to be 100% focused on doing iOS development and the consulting company couldn't really guarantee that for me. Um, they had, You know, I had skills in Java development and they had clients that needed that and so they wanted, you know, they don't want me sitting around waiting for an iOS project in their office, they want me out, you know, billing at a client. Um, so it just didn't really work out for me to uh, do iOS development um, for them. So I left and started my own company Um, we actually, my wife and I decided, uh, as a family, we were going to move to Thailand at the same time. So it was kind of this crazy changing, like quitting my full-time job, starting a company and then moving to Thailand for a year. So.
0: Wow. Did you follow through on that?
1: Uh, Yeah, yeah, we moved um, to Thailand. We lived there for a year. Um, I did my first year, uh, you know, working for myself for my own company um, from Thailand and had clients, some that were based in Thailand, but most that were actually based in the U.S.
0: So when you say your own company, is it uh, a different company th- than Roadfire?
1: No. So that was Roadfire software. Yep.
0: Okay. And w- mm-hmm. when you say your company, were you building your own product, or was it what it is now, like consulting? your were you mostly consulting
1: at that point. Yeah.
0: So how did you mm-hmm. get your first your first client? How did you get your first job and like be in a um, position to move to Thailand?
1: Yeah. So um, I guess we had decided probably uh, maybe eight months or. Uh, maybe even about a year before we moved that we wanted to move so um, during that year it was a lot of like planning and prepping and all that stuff and so during that time I'm still working the full-time job and then just looking around like um, for companies in Thailand uh, that I could potentially work for and so um, I found uh, I found this Um, conference that had happened in uh, Chiang Mai, which is the city in Thailand that we wanted to live in. Um, And on the conference site, there was this list of sponsors. So I just started emailing those sponsors and asking them like, hey, can I help you with iOS development? Uh, You know, is there anything I can do for you? That sort of thing. And so um, one of them, actually several of them responded. One of them worked out and uh, I got a contract out of it. So
0: Wow, that is so cool, And then yeah. you ended up moving to Thailand. What was that like?
1: Um, let's see. It was an adventure for sure um it was we experienced a lot of culture shock at first um, it was there were challenges for sure, just being away from people that we knew, like all our friends and family, are here um, but it was really cool. It was just a great experience to live overseas to sort of see a different culture um, and experience life there, which is the whole reason we wanted to go. We just wanted to um, experience what life is like in another culture. Um, and we definitely accomplished that. So,
0: A lot of my uh, members, a lot of people I talk to, they're uh, looking to do something similar in the sense of like, be their own boss, right, start their own company, mm-hmm. be a uh, consulting consultant. Uh, Do you think that there are jobs or opportunities like that outside of the U.S., and like this could be a good way to kind of get your first client and kind of get started and start your company and have a lot of fun at the same time?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, So the nice thing about Thailand is that um, the cost of living is a lot lower there. So our rent was really low. Um, The food we ate was was really low. Um, You can get a meal in Thailand for like a dollar, like a full meal. Um, wow. so it's a, that's a lot different than what you get in the U S right. Um, I love Thai food. Yeah, it's so good. Um, so, you know, it's just, I think Thailand actually made it easier to like start the company and, um, go off because like I made, I made a bunch of mistakes, like starting with a super low consulting hourly rate, um, and things like that, but it all worked out okay because like our expenses were super low there. So.
0: It's interesting. So are there opportunities to go work and like be an employee too, like as an iOS developer in China, in something like Thailand or?
1: Um, Potentially. Yeah. Um, I know Thailand was a little bit difficult for that because, um, just because of the way like their laws are and things about hiring foreigners and stuff like that. So it was harder to find a full-time job there, but I'm sure um, other companies or other countries are uh, much different there.
0: Okay, so I want to go back to the point at which you realized you wanted to focus on iOS more. So there's two things Mm -hmm. there. Um, At that point, what are all the different sort of programming uh, platforms and languages that you sort of were familiar with? And then why iOS?
1: Yeah, so I started um, doing Java development when I came out of college. Um, And that was mainly because that's what I learned in college. Um, And so I spent... Uh, about two years, uh, two-and-a-half years doing just Java development and it's server-side and a lot of the work I did was um, just batch processing type stuff and things that like you would never see um, as okay. a user, like you basically don't see like all this processing stuff that happens in the background. And so n- not even web development or anything like that, just uh, moving moving data around. Um, and. I didn't really enjoy that anymore at that point. I wanted to build stuff that people could uh, like touch and see and interact with. And so um, I got interested in iOS development. And um, I learned uh, by by using this book. um, It was beginning iOS three development, I think is what the book was called Um, has a little grapefruit on the front. But um, (laughs) (laughs) but I learned using that book, and then um, along with a couple of uh, of my coworkers, offered to teach um, a class for our company um, and so our consulting company did this frequently. they would have night classes where like if you wanted to learn a new technology or whatever, you could go and just learn it um, and It was taught by the consultants at the company so um, so we, not knowing very much at all about iOS development, just offered to teach one of those classes. And so um, I learned a lot more uh, by teaching, because then people had questions that I didn't know the answers to, and I had to figure it out and, and help them out. Um, but that's, that's where it started for me, with iOS development.
0: There's a good point in there, which is you learned a lot by teaching, and oh, yeah. my, my skills definitely went up dramatically when I started teaching people through my meetup. So if you are looking for opportunities to advance your skills and there's no meetup in your area, go create one. If there is a meetup in your area, see if you can lead a session. I've been, um, having my members lead sessions now because I just can't do it every week and I want mm-hmm. mine to be weekly. So uh, shout out to um, Courtney Osborne. Shout out to uh, Stephen Berard. Shout out to um, Andreas. Uh, shout out to Eman, uh, Iman, who's going to lead Cordata this coming week. Uh, uh, Yareev, a bunch of my members. Now I have Lasha, Hi, I have them lead because then you know, that gives back in so many different ways. So definitely that's a really good... Uh, uh, thing you mentioned there. Uh, mm-hmm. Let's go back. You said uh, it was iOS 3. So does that mean it's like 2009 or something like yeah, that?
1: Yeah, so it was like the end of 2009 that, that I found this book and started learning. And then early okay, 2010 so like, is when we taught this class.
0: So maybe you had like an iPhone 3G or something like that. And, and you're like, yeah. oh, this is cool. Right. I want to make apps for this. Right. So yeah. up until that point, you had no experience in, in iOS. And you're just like, this is cool. I want to do it. And mm. you just went for it yeah yeah basically that's awesome, I mean, <laughs> that's awesome. okay yep. so but then you're you found this new thing you're really into maybe uh-huh. you're sort of building side projects did you get any um, client work in iOS like yes. at that company at that yeah that at that company
1: them? so after um I taught the class then um, the company was aware that I at least had some skills in iOS development and they um, they had a project that came in that um they put me and a couple other um, iOS developers on, and so that was my first uh, real-world experience with iOS development. Um, All right, so, so. You,
0: so you do this client job, and you're like, this mm-hmm. is awesome, I want to yeah. do it more. Sorry, we don't have that much work. You're like, okay, i am got to do this. i got to figure out how to, I can do this. That's actually what happened to me. Like. Mm -hmm. I love doing it. Now I need to figure out how I can do it all the time. Well, I need to make money. So now I need to find a job then where I can just get paid to do it all the time. All right. So you moved to Thailand. You lived there for a year. You get some clients. Mm -hmm. Then you move back after a year. Why did you decide to move back? Um, Or I'm assuming you moved back to the States.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Moved back to the States. So um, we basically decided to move back because it was just uh, difficult to live there um, with like not having a full time job there, um, there are requirements in Thailand where like you have to leave every ninety days and then you can come back in for ninety days and then you So have where to would you go? Yeah. So um just out of the country. Um so we went to uh Malaysia. Um oh, at one point we just came back to the US to visit for a little while um to see our families and friends and things wow. like that. And then wow. went back. So yeah.
0: So you moved back because it was just kind of getting a little difficult to, to
1: live. Yeah. Here. And um, at that point, all of my clients were in the U.S., um, so it didn't really make sense to be there anymore. Um, At the beginning, I actually found a client. um, It was a German company who was, like, starting a branch in Thailand. And so that client was great, um, and they were right there, and I could, you know, communicate uh, with them pretty easily. Whereas once I had U.S. clients, there's a 12-hour time difference, so that makes it pretty difficult to have a phone call or anything like that so how
0: did you start getting u s clients I mean you went all the way to Thailand um, because you know you want this adventure and you found mm-hmm. this you know client out there but then you started getting all these u s clients right like, how did that happen
1: uh basically because I had friends in the u s who nice. uh, did iOS development and so um my first uh, big client in the U.S. and I ended up working for them for like three and a half years. But that came through a referral from a friend. Um, They asked him if he wanted to be their iOS developer and he was booked at the time. So he sent them on to me and it worked out and I ended up being there for three and a half years.
0: Power of uh, friends, referrals, and yeah. networking. Never yep. underestimate it. Okay, so you come back to the U.S. Mm-hmm. You're on fire. You got you got U.S. clients. You're doing your thing, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, now you're like you're just living the dream. You're like <laughs> you love the iOS home, and you're just doing it. So yeah. that's great. Okay, so we've come to my favorite part. I mean, I love getting to know uh, my guests, but I love also mm-hmm. to focus on you know iOS and Swift. Um, so, but before we do, I just want to mention a couple things. Um, so, <laughs> uh, yeah, next week, if you're listening, uh, we're doing core data. So yeah, thank you to Eman for doing that. And I also want to say thank you to Andre, uh, one of my meetup members. He, uh, let us have our meetup at, uh, you know, his, his place. Um, and yeah, just thank you so much. So if you are like in your town and you potentially have an office space where, you know, a meetup can be hosted that's a gold that's like a gold mine right there. So reach out to your local meetup and uh, let people know that you have a a conference room or an office space or a big living room with a TV, because being able to host these meetups really change people's lives, Um, especially like in underserved areas. uh, You know, it's easy to host a meetup in Santa Monica, but not so easy, like in downtown or something like that, downtown LA. Um, OK, so I just wanted to say that. Now, moving on. So you are a a, a very experienced iOS developer, um, assuming you started in Objective-C because you were doing it at iOS 3. Right. Um, yep. And then you uh, moved to, to Swift. You said you've been doing it since the beginning. So uh, mm-hmm. Swift is announced 2014. Were you at DubDub or were you watching? And what goes what's going through your um, mind when you hear Swift is announced?
1: Yeah, so I watched the keynote live um, from here, though, from Indianapolis. And um, I was really excited when they announced Swift. Um, I don't know, I I get excited about like new languages and technologies and things like that. So um, that was, for me, it was just basically excitement. Um, I was sitting with some friends who were like, uh, now we have to learn a new programming language. And like <laughs> that, like that was the total opposite for me. I was like, yes, a new programming language to learn. This is so cool. It's going to be great. I love it. Um, so yeah, that's that, that's how I uh, reacted at least. So when
0: did you start? You just like immediately opened up the language reference uh, guide or the yeah, book yeah. So I downloaded it, that
1: book, that iBooks, um, the Swift programming language, and started reading that. Um, I downloaded Xcode as soon as I could, uh, started building an app, and it really, really struggled with it. Um, uh, which I don't know. It, it. I guess it surprised me. That I um, struggled so much because I read this book and I I knew iOS development because I'd been doing it for four years at that point, um, but still like doing an app in Swift was just a whole like it's it's a whole different language. Everything's different. Um, it's a lot more particular about types than Objective C is. There's these optional things that you have to deal with and like all kinds of different stuff. Um, so I really struggled to build uh, just a simple like table view app the the first, whatever, first week. Are you using Swift right now in your production code? Yes, I am. Mm-hmm.
0: When did you start doing that? Because you know I've heard heard a lot of things about that, like maybe you should, maybe you shouldn't, now's a good time, now's not a good time. When did you start doing that?
1: Yeah, um, so very early. Cause um, so right after uh, Swift was announced, Um, I started playing with it on my own, and then I was still working uh, for a client then that I'd been working with for years. And so they had a bunch of code in Objective-C, but as soon as Swift uh, hit 1.0, I started adding Swift code to the code base and started doing new things in Swift and just leaving the old Objective-C code around. Um, And so, yeah, basically since 1.0, I've been uh, doing it for production work. Were there a lot of
0: sort of growing pains that you notice whenever like new versions of Swift oh, would yeah. come out? Yeah, wow. definitely.
1: Yep, there were some uh, struggles with migrating uh, to, to new versions of Swift. And the migration tool is good, but it's not perfect. It can't catch everything. It can't do everything. So um, yeah, there was some pain with going from, I, I don't remember exactly which version to which version, but several of the versions throughout there um, were a little bit painful in upgrading. Well,
0: since you've been working with swift in your production code for uh you know almost as long as it's been out it sounds like uh, how do you feel now in terms of its stability
1: um i it seems like it's becoming a lot more stable and the changes are not quite as big um, i think we're going to have a big um a big migration to do for swift 3 um, with my current client and code base but um but yeah, to me, it seems like it's starting to level off and, and kind of stabilize.
0: Yeah, I'm really excited for uh, Swift 3. I've played a little bit with uh, beta Xcode uh, 8 mm-hmm. um, and the you know some of the syntax changes. I'm actually trying to, like all my new APIs that I'm writing, I try to write in more of like a Swift 3 way with like the different um, parameter name, like style. Right. So mm-hmm. it's been kind of fun. But yeah, I'm really yeah. excited to, to start playing with it. Yeah. All right. So I want to talk about like what you focus on uh, with Swift, because, you know, obviously you have your consulting mm-hmm. company, but that's um, you know, where you're building, you know, real applications for your clients. But, you know, in production, you can't always, uh, you, you know, the priorities and practicality are you're. Usually more important than like trying to do the cool new thing or experimenting and things like that, right? And right. it sounds like you might have the opportunity to do a lot of that with the other things that you work on. It sounds like you, you said you run mm-hmm. like a blog, or you do right. um, yep. tutoring, or you do consulting in terms of teaching. You write books, like. So you focus on Swift in like another way that's not just production, more of like educational. Right. It sounds like. Yeah. So uh, can you talk a little bit about like what your focuses are um, with Swift um, as a language and iOS um, as a platform, um, and how like you like what you focus on in terms of like that teaching side?
1: Yeah. So um, I've been writing a blog for a while. Um, probably actually, yeah. I started my blog before I even started doing iOS development. Um, so 2009, I think, is when I started it, um, and then shortly thereafter started doing iOS. So I have a bunch of articles that are in Objective-C that are outdated and irrelevant now, right? Um, <laughs> but uh, I started, like once I started uh, learning Swift, soon after it came out, I started writing articles in Swift. And um, so I guess I probably have two years worth of blog posts um, awesome. out there in often Swift. do you write? Uh, So I used to be pretty consistent about doing it every week. Last year was a good year uh, for that. This year, uh, not so much. I've been really focused on the consulting stuff this year. So um, I haven't been nearly as regular or frequent about posting, but I'll still do at least once a month. Um, And so, so yeah, I did this blog. Um, I've been doing that for a couple of years. And then um, at some point I decided I just wanted to uh, do more like product development and um, maybe a little less consulting. So um, I decided that I wanted to write a book um, about Swift in particular because, well, Swift is a new thing. It's popular. It's what people want to learn. And um, I saw people struggling with um, the same thing over and over. And uh, for me, the thing that I saw people struggling with a lot was, was parsing JSON.
0: Yeah, so why do you think that that's so difficult? I don't understand, because I see all this stuff like, oh, Swifty JSON and parsing JSON and Swift and this and that, and I'm like, why, what's the big deal? You just, you know, you get a JSON response, you 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 know, you know it's a, a dictionary of string any object, mm-hmm. and then just you know what objects should be, um, you know the values of the dictionary, and you just cast them. Like I don't understand what is the big deal with parsing uh, JSON and Swift, and like why are you focused on that?
1: Right. Um, so I think for for myself and a lot of Objective C developers, it was hard because um, in Objective C we could sort of get away with um, not doing things, um, certain things such as um uh in in Swift you have to um when you get a value out of a dictionary, you have to um it's optional, so if you want to use the value, you have to unwrap it. So that's one thing that Objective C developers and anybody who's just new or new-ish to optionals um might have trouble with. Um and the second thing is that uh, when you get a value out it may or may not be the type that you expected so maybe you wanted an int but it's actually a string because the json from the server actually returned a string um, for some reason it's broken or whatever Um, so doing that cast and doing all of that safely i think is where people tend to struggle i've seen um, a lot of places online where people are posting code and there are these uh, force casts with as bang or uh, force unwraps of optionals with the bang operator, and um, it's just not safe. And so I wanted to like, help people to do this in uh, a good way, a safe way, so that their app isn't crashing when you know the JSON they get isn't what they expected.
0: Okay, so how do you do that? I mean, because I, I relate to that. I understand. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm dealing with, um, you know, a backend where I honestly don't know what the server is going to, to, to return because I didn't write the web service, you know? Right. And, um, so I'm just assuming everything's everything is, like, either a string or maybe it's, a, it's an int or a double or something, mm-hmm. but I'm casting it um, and just seeing what happens. And usually we're trying to guard let everything, but in some right. places we are doing just a let and then an as bang. Um so mm-hmm. I, I do relate to that. So what's the answer? Like what are you what are these other I I, I don't know if you're proposing the same thing as something like a Swifty JSON, but like what is actually the, the answer?
1: Um so the way I like to do it is um without using a third party framework, um I tend to be um, a little hesitant to adopt third party frameworks just because I'd rather have our dependencies beyond on Apple's uh, built-in frameworks that I know that they're going to continue supporting and um, that are going to be working, you know, long term. Um, so then I will, you know, take it on myself to write some of the code to um, just doing, like you said, doing an if let to check for something and to make sure that it's, um, the value uh, that you expected, or the type that you expected, and, and that iflet will then also unwrap the optional, so you have an actual value rather than an optional. Um, so doing iflets or guardlets um, are one of the, I think, one of the big things that I try to teach um, in that book. Um, and then the other thing is testing. Um, that's something that it seems to me like a lot of iOS developers in general just sort of skip or it's it's just not part of like the mindset of iOS development um, which is weird to me coming from Java where um, at least the team I was on everybody wrote unit tests and um, even pushed things like test driven development um, yeah
0: this is something I recently heard about that testing is very big in other uh, other platforms other mm-hmm. sort of programming um, paradigms right. um, and it's just really not in iOS but mm-hmm. it seems like, Um, Apple in particular uh, is pushing for more testing, like you know, from the 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 real source. Apple, right? They're like Mm -hmm, the the, they're like the. Person we look to, the thing we look to, and they're pushing it. So at Dub Dub, they talk a lot about it. I'm learning test driven development, and mm-hmm. I love it. And yeah. Um, yeah, definitely trying to like learn better ways um, to test, like with all the dependency injection type of, type of stuff, and like mm-hmm. better code um, architecture. Like we're doing MVVM, which like right. allows it to be more testable. But I don't push like my members to learn testing first when they're just starting out. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so you notice this, you notice this issue that people were struggling with this concept of. Like there's mm-hmm. kind of two things going on like you don't really know what what's coming back um, you have to be type safe like in Swift right the compiler right. wants to know types and right. you have to cast in order mm-hmm. to use the object as you know have access to like properties or mm-hmm. methods on that type right. so you notice this problem what did right. you what did you do what have you been doing about
1: that? Um yeah. So um, I, I did a bunch of research about like, uh, well, just looking around like on the Internet um, forums and places like that for like what 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 are people struggling with? What kind of p- code are they posting and what like problems or potential issues does that code have? So um, based on like all of this research, I wrote the book to try to address some of those things um, in addition to, um, like I said, helping people to write um, safe, stable code uh which i think testing has a big uh, is a big part of that so
0: is uh, parsing json in swift like that big of a topic that it deserves like a, a big book i know we mentioned it briefly in the intro but uh um, right. yeah josh like wrote a book i don't know how long it is but a book on this topic um yeah. and you know for all you swift coders out there we have a offer code for you i'll link to it um, in the show notes i believe it's 10% off on any mm-hmm. edition and there's like different um additions that Josh can talk about, but Mm -hmm. like, yeah, is it that big of a topic that it needs a whole book?
1: Yeah, well, (laughs) so... Uh, this is so my my research and the reason for writing this all comes from um, a class called Thirty by Five Hundred, um, which is an excellent class for learning how to build and sell products. So I highly highly recommend that if you're interested at all in building your own products, um, take that class. Amy Hoy and Alex Hillman teach it, and they're great. Um, but this isn't an ad for that. It's just they're they're really good at what they do. Um, so, yeah, uh, through that class, I learned that, like, the the questions and the struggles and the things that people are posting online are things that they're dealing with and, like, problems they have, they're pains, I guess, as in their terminology. But um, so... Uh, yeah, I think like anything that is, is expressed uh, repeatedly over and over and in sort of different ways um, is big enough for uh, a product or, or something, like some way to teach and solve this. Um, it didn't have to be a book that I wrote, but um, I think a book is um, and an easy way to like sort of show code and how you would do this. So, yeah, um, that, no, that's awesome. Yeah.
0: I guess the question I'm sort of asking is like, is there really a lot to talk about? Like on that topic, I thought it was <laughs> yeah, kind well, of just like, you know, you guard lead and you, you optional cast and like, but it seems like maybe there's a lot under the hood. Like, cause you did research. Like, it sounds like there's a lot more there.
1: Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's the, the guard let stuff. Um, there's the testing. There's um, like making it, um, Readable and concise and elegant and things like that. And then like um, like transforming that data into model objects too. So part of this is like having a good model layer that represents um, the data that you're getting in your JSON. So, Maybe you're getting a list of repositories. Normally, I would have a model object that is a repository. And so um, you know, you're pulling the data out of that dictionary that you get from NSJSON serialization and um, setting the values on your repository objects so you can um, have you know, type safe code uh, to work with in the rest of your app.
0: Um, I don't want to give away too much in the book, but I do remember something I read on your website that I'm actually using now, which is uh, creating a type alias for dictionary string any object, and mm-hmm. instead of having to write that everywhere when you're casting, because you know dictionaries can contain other dictionaries, right? Right. Um, so yeah. instead of having to like write that everywhere, you can just say JSON dictionary. I thought that was really cool. Um, and the yeah, other thing thanks. you just mentioned, uh, yeah, I read that on your uh, blog, I think, cool. or someone commented, I think, in saying like. Just like knowing that was worth it, like,
1: mm-hmm. uh, but
0: it yeah, it is uh, really cool. I've been using that. Another thing you just mentioned was um, like the model objects, and so that's mm-hmm. something I'd like to kind of talk about. Like the way I've done it is a couple ways. Like you can inline like where you're getting your JSON back, you can create a dictionary and get the values out of it and create like a, a model object. Let's say you have right. like a car. you can Mm -hmm. create it right there or you can give the car like in its initializer it can take a dictionary like a car dictionary and it can create itself from that dictionary is that sort of what you're talking about with like this repository thing
1: yeah yeah and so either of those approaches um, is great i um i generally like to do the mapping outside of say the car class um, because uh, i i guess i find that sometimes my model objects get really big if like they have like maybe a dozen properties and you know a car maybe has a dozen properties on it and then it has this big initializer and then maybe it has some other methods inside of it and it can get really big so what i like to do is to take that out and do the uh... mapping somewhere else so take this dictionary and turn it into a car um, and then um, either way, it's testable, but I think it's for me at least it's easier to test like this mapper class than it is to test like an init method on a car. Um,
0: interesting. So almost like a factory, sort of like a factory method or something. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Basically. Yep. Okay. And, interesting. And so, like your your example of an init method on a car that takes a dictionary, it's just um, a uh, a map method on um, in this whatever factory or mapper. Type class that takes a dictionary and then returns a car object.
0: Wait, so it wouldn't just be a function that you can use on a dictionary? So it takes a dictionary and returns a car. Like so, right? Dot, uh, d- you know, uh, dictionary dot map to car. You're saying it's an actual map class or something?
1: Um, no, well, so my terminology at least is, uh, that this is a mapper type class. Like I consider a mapper to be something that takes one thing and turns it into another thing. Okay. So we're taking, you know, this dictionary and turning it into a car.
0: Okay. But it sounds like a function.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so... Uh, generally, my classes have multiple functions in it, though. So like one will take um, just a single car dictionary and turn it into a car object. But then there might be also one for a list where you have a list of cars right. um, that yeah, yeah. that would also go in that same class. That sounds like
0: kind of like a functional style. That's sort of what mm-hmm. we're doing at, at Farmers. Like, uh, you know, we have this whatever we, we're doing reactive. So it's like, yeah, we have this uh, reactive you know, object, and we map it to this other object. It's really fun. Okay, so, Mm -hmm. uh, and then you mentioned testing, too, which I wish uh, we could talk about that (laughs) uh, because I just am new to testing. Um, Are you focused on... Because I know you're. it seems like you're focused on a couple things, like you do the parsing JSON and Swift, but I Mm -hmm. think you also focus on networking. I thought I read something where you have, like, a big focus on that, too. Is that true?
1: Yeah, I mean, I've done uh, some stuff on networking, but um, I don't know. I... What what are some of the other
0: things, what are some of the other things that you focus on, um, in your sort of like your educational resources and things Um, like
1: that? So I've done a lot of like, uh, just helping people to sort of get started with, um, Swift development. And, um, generally I, uh, aim my workshops or books or things like that at experienced programmers. So, um, for me, like, i I haven't done much like teaching the basic like the fundamentals of programming, so i'm I'm just not there like i can't I don 't think I could like teach somebody like what a class is or what a loop is or things like that. But um, once you have like some sort of foundation of programming, like I like to teach people like you know how to uh, build an iOS app with Swift, and so I've done some like introductory classes. On uh, you know learning Swift, getting started, building your first iOS app, that sort of thing. Um, Okay, no. So a lot
0: of the people that come to my meetups, they love that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, building your first app or just I mean that's why I created the meetup was like to really see what it looks like to to make an application. Mm -hmm. So what are some of the other types of um, like do you have like online like you say workshops are those like online workshops or.
1: yeah, they so I've like done, in person? I've done both, um, and I haven't done one in, in a while, but, um, I, yeah, it's been, like, I did, um, I think my first one I did was with a friend here in the Indy area, and, um, we had, I don't know, about 10 people come to the workshop, and so that was really cool, and we did another one, and then, um, I started doing some just kind of on my own online after that, and, um. Are like there I said, up? teaching the basics, teaching people how to build table views and that sort of thing, do networking and all that, the basics. Are there,
0: are there meetups in, uh, in the area where you live?
1: Yeah, absolutely. There's um, an Indie Cocoa Heads right down the street from where I live. So, yep.
0: Are there any other, like, uh, so so in my area, L.A., we had Cocoa Heads, but there wasn't, mm-hmm. you know, Learn Swift L.A., which is what I created. Like, I mm-hmm. wonder if there's anything like that because um, that That's could be. That's a great I mean, question. I don't know. If there isn't, you know, you might benefit from creating that. That could be really yeah. interesting for you. Okay, so getting back to your book, then, uh, you mentioned that there was like different kind of editions. What does that mean? So, like, what right. are the different editions that people could get?
1: Right. So there's the basic edition, which is the book. um, And and you mentioned, like, you don't know, how how much could you really put in a book about parsing JSON and Swift? So it's no fluff, but um, the book is like 75 pages. Oh, Um, nice. A 75-page PDF that just, you know, teaches you uh, how Mm -hmm. to get started with parsing JSON in a safe way and testing and all that stuff. Um, And then there's the expanded edition, which is the book. Um, It has source code for a a sample repos app, which uses the MVVM pattern. So um, if you're interested in just seeing like the source code for this app or like learning MVVM by looking at that, um, that's in the expanded edition, along with a couple video lessons that talk about um, doing like handling JSON and Swift with Alamo Fire, or like whether you should use uh, Swifty JSON or not, or in what cases does it make sense to use uh, something like Swifty JSON? Um, That's
0: cool. We're doing MVVM uh, at my work, mm-hmm. and I'd like to take a look at that. And then also, you mentioned like whether or not you should use Swifty JSON. Like, I feel mm-hmm. like I hear I hear people talking about third-party libraries a lot. as sort of like a mm-hmm. shortcut, which it makes sense, right? A shortcut to right. kind of get to where you want to go. But in my, you know, sort of early days, I tried to just learn first party stuff. Like, I Mm -hmm. just want to learn first party because if I don't know how to do it the real way, like the first party way, and then I use some third party library and there's some issue with that library, I don't know how to really fix my issue. Right. Right. Um, But but I think for some people, if their goal is just to build an application and get it out, maybe, you know, maybe that makes sense. Right. Um, Yeah.
1: And okay, I think so what, there are cases too where, like, especially with JSON, maybe the JSON structure uh, that's coming from the server is just not that great, and so something like Swifty JSON just makes it a lot easier to deal with this, you know, kind of uh, not not great JSON.
0: Yeah, I've never played with it before, but like, I always thought, like, what does it even do? Like, I don't understand. Like, at some point, you're you're going to have a dictionary, right? And you have to deal mm-hmm. with it. So, right. does it just I mean, I don't know. Anyways, I haven't played with it, so.
1: Yeah, I mean, it it just adds a little bit of, like, convenience. Like, I would consider it, like, syntactic sugar on top of, uh, you know, your, your JSON stuff, so.
0: All right, so you said that there's some videos um, attached mm-hmm. to, like, one of the additions. Uh, mm-hmm. Are they videos, like, that accompany it? So they kind of explain, like, live coding almost?
1: Yeah, so the one is um, just kind of about, like, Swifty JSON, like I, I mentioned. So should you use it or not? It's kind of a talk with some slides. Um just, you know, uh, describing my thoughts on it. Um, the other video lesson that comes with the expanded edition is, um, how to do, uh, like parsing JSON and Swift using Alamo fire. So you can sort of see, um, like how you would go about like integrating this, like these concepts from the book, if you're using a third party networking framework, like Alamo fire. Okay. So that one is like coding and like you watch and, and work along with the video.
0: And then, do you do any like one-on-one type of like consulting or tutoring?
1: Yeah, yeah. So the strategy edition of the book then is um, is that. So it's all that other stuff we just talked about, plus a one-on-one consultation where um, I'm just there to answer your questions, uh, either about parsing JSON and Swift, or if you just have other questions about Swift or iOS in general, I'm happy to answer those during the call too. So um, and, those have been really so fun for me to like meet and talk with people um, who are you know working through this stuff and, and kind of learning things.
0: Yeah, man, I deal with that at least like you know, once a week or mm-hmm. lately. It's been more like once a month because I've been so busy. But I mean, that's like what my meetups like. Mm-hmm. I think you might enjoy that. Actually, you should uh, you should look into that as an yeah. option. It's a great way to meet meet um, people. and teach I'm writing people.
1: it down right now. So. <laughs> right on.
0: So what do you find um, in your, you know, sort of your clients, your one on ones? Like what type of uh, student are they uh, are they you know beginning or are they more advanced like what uh, and what type of learner are they
1: yeah so they're um generally just getting started with uh this stuff and that's that's kind of the idea of the strategy edition it's like if you're like if you are working on a project and you've got to like get your json like parsing stuff all set up right at the beginning um this, this might be hopefully is a good way for you to get started, um, get it all set up and then like once you've set it up once, you can sort of copy that pattern over and over to parse different types of JSON objects or things like that. Um, so yeah, that's, the calls have been more with people who are kind of new to um, Swift and, and iOS development in general.
0: Okay. And my guess is like the type of learner would be like somebody who just needs that like one-on-one contact. Like I remember when I was a, an LSAT tutor, there's just people that that's the kind of style that they need, you know? Um, they just need that like more human kind of connection versus like just reading a book or, or, or just looking at a video. Mm -hmm. Um, all right, well then how's that been going? Has that been enjoyable for
1: you? Oh yeah, absolutely. I love it. Um, and, uh, on a related note, I, with my, um, with my client right now, I worked with their interns all summer, um, so they brought on three interns to work on this uh, this project that I had been working on and and still worked on throughout the summer. But um, I got to work with them, and uh, what like the way this the whole summer worked was basically at the beginning, um, I picked a, I had picked out a book, the Big Nerd Ranch um, iOS Programming book is excellent, so highly recommend that if you're learning uh, Swift and iOS development, but. Um, I picked that out, and they, uh, for the first two or three weeks of the summer, worked through that, learned just the basics of iOS development, and then I was kind of there around to answer their questions, um, to help them through problems uh, that they had, and to review their code. So um, that was a really you know, a really great experience, and again, like another place where I was able to do this thing that I'm passionate about, teach people uh, how to do iOS and Swift development. Right
0: on. All right. Well, we're coming close to the end. So there's a couple mm-hmm. things I want to talk about before we do. Before we close, um, one is like, what are some of the like new things that you're thinking about learning? Um, you know, I mean, Swift is wide open, right? It's it's, right. it's open source. So there's so many different applications potentially. Um, mm-hmm. There's new technologies coming out every year. Uh, there's different architectures, uh, different programming styles. Um, mm-hmm. Is there anything in particular that you're thinking about or have been focusing on?
1: Um, Architecture is what I've been focusing on a lot lately. Um, So this project that I'm working on now, we're using an architecture that's totally new to me. Um, We actually started out with uh, doing MVVM, and it sort of morphed into um, a little more complex architecture with more layers. Um, So it's it's very similar to Viper, although um, it's not quite Viper. But um, so that's something that I've been um, just learning. Sorry, say that again?
0: What's Viper? I mean, oh, I think Vi- I've heard of it in relation. It's like, it's a type of architecture, right? Yeah, style. It's
1: a style. It's a style of architecture. Um, so I think it stands for view, interactor, uh, presenter, entity, and router. Um, Interesting. So those are the five parts. So um, I think of a presenter sort of like a view model. So that, that helped me. And uh, entity is sort of like a model. Um, and then you have these other parts that are a little different, but, um, but yeah, so we have like these routers in our app now that sort of do configuration and help, like, um, uh, help with like the flow through the app. So kind of like an do, app
0: coordinator. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So sort of like that. Cause, um, oftentimes like, uh, I'll have, um, view controllers that, um, you know, they segue from one to the next and inside of the view controller then there's this prepare for segue where sometimes you'll you know grab your model objects or whatever and set them for the next view controller Um, so rather than doing that work in there we're doing that type of work inside of our router um, classes to sort of set up the next view and then um, even in some cases do the transition
0: Right, so that reminds me of the app coordinator um, thing I heard of, Mm -hmm. or presenting coordinators, Sarosh Khanlu.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: From that that Vimeo, um, uh, NS Spain, I think it was. was. So I've been playing around with that, too. Have you Mm -hmm. noticed that this, um, you're calling it a router, okay, have you noticed Mm -hmm. that the router, this router model, works well with uh, dependency injection?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. So then, Um, like,
0: obviously, with testing, it makes it better? Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay. So real quick, for those who don't know, dependency injection, you're just giving your objects their instance variables, their stored properties, whatever, when you, um, you create them versus uh, they create them themselves. Um, sorry, can you go ahead to, to tell me about this? Because this is something I get really excited about.
1: Yeah, yeah. So um, uh, most, uh, all of our routers and then most of the, the rest of our app, we have interactors and view models and... Um, uh, different pieces like that. But they all um, do, we use dependency injection um, pretty much everywhere. So oftentimes we'll do that with a constructor. So we have this, you know, uh, init method um, that takes maybe, you know, a view model and an interactor and, um, and that you know, that's for the router. So then it, it stores those properties and then it can use those and, and do what it needs to do with them um, right. when it's time to transition to the next screen or whatever.
0: So, what are some of the benefits um, or the um, results or consequences of this sort of architecture you're doing? You said it's similar to Viper. Mm-hmm. What, are, um, in addition to like making it maybe better for, uh, for testing, like what are some other right. benefits? Like my guess is view controllers maybe become smaller.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah.
0: Or, or what? What are some other like things that you're seeing? Maybe more. Yeah. Scalable? So
1: definitely, um, it's more testable. Um, since we're doing dependency injection, we can. Um, we can inject fake or mock or stub uh, instances of of these classes and properties that we need. um, So that then in our tests we have this predictable predictable output from those um, objects. Um, So there's that, um, yeah, it's, um, I don't know, it makes the view controller smaller. we we found that when we were doing just MVVM, uh, we ended up having a lot of code in the view model. Then, so it was essentially just yep. pushing the code out of the view controller and into the view model. And then, you know, what are we going to do with that? So, um, so this architecture helps us to sort of like keep things straight. Like, um, you know, these sorts of uh, behaviors go here in this layer. These sorts of behaviors go in this layer. And then it's just sort of it's it's a lot easier to just know okay like I want to handle um, you know transitioning from one screen to the next that obviously goes in the router because that's what our routers do.
0: Yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. I love it. I love. It. I get so excited about this stuff. And for those of you that are listening, that are maybe like, what are they talking about? Again, this goes back to one of the first things we said: is like, don't worry about it. You're being exposed to it, so you're already that far, that much further ahead. Um, at some point, it might click. Um, you know, these types of things I say to to my uh, members who are beginners aren't that important to start learning about. Like I talk about five pillars that I think are important to to start. I'm uh, to focus on. I might add testing to that. I'm not sure yet. I feel like testing. Maybe, you know, it doesn't need to be a, f- a first thing, but I think it seems like other platforms would say, no, testing is like the first thing you learn. Mm-hmm. But, um, okay, so we're definitely at the beginning, but before we end, I, I want to talk about a couple things. So uh, mm-hmm. where can people contact you online?
1: Yeah, so my website is roadfiresoftware.com, uh, R-O-A-D-F-I-R-E, software.com, um, and I'm JT Brown on Twitter.
0: What's the story uh, behind Roadfire.
1: Um, so road fire is actually, uh, it sounds like the Thai word for train, which is a r- Um, and so we were, you know, we we're in Thailand and we we're trying to get around and somebody like wrote this down for us, like to get to the train station. They wrote R O A D F I R E. Um, so that's, you know, that's how I remember that. That's what I wanted to name the company. So. That's cool.
0: That's yeah. awesome. Okay, and then what, if anything, uh, should people contact you for? Um, you know, you're available, so anybody could really hit you up. But like, is something in particular that like you like to talk about, or right. can really help people with?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm really passionate about um, unit testing and um, test driven development and those sorts of things. Um, I also, as we discussed, I wrote a book on parsing JSON in Swift. So if you have parsing JSON questions, I'm happy to help with those too.
0: Nice, you're the go-to guy. Cool. <laughs> and uh, remember, all the um, you know everyone listening, if you uh, you know find that book interesting, uh, definitely use the offer code Swift Coders. Mm-hmm. Uh, is it at checkout?
1: Yeah, yeah. So you go to the page, and as you're checking out, there's a little box to put in that discount code.
0: Cool. And I'll make sure to uh, you know have that code in the show notes, and mm-hmm. that'll give you 10 percent off on any edition. Yep. Um, <clears throat> so the last thing I like to end with is, you know, one piece of advice for people learning Swift and it's kind of like, what is like one thing someone can kind of take from, from today that they can just, you know, just either think about or it's actionable or just, you know, feel, feel good about. Cause a lot of the times mm-hmm. when we're learning this stuff, we just feel like, you know, I can't learn enough or, or what can I do right now, you know? And so mm-hmm. just what's thing What's one thing, uh, one piece of advice for people learning Swift?
1: Yeah, so I would say to do a little bit every single day. Um, it, it's like, I guess I find that um, I learn best when I'm consistently doing something. And so um, a lot of times I find, though, that it's easy for me to just get really excited and passionate about something and spend, I don't know, four hours one day doing it and then just drop it and never do it again. Um, But like if you're if you're committed to this and you really want to learn Swift and iOS development, um, do a little bit every day. Do something that's sustainable so you can create a habit. And um, if it's something that you're doing every day, even if it's just like 10 minutes a day, once you have the habit, then I think it's a lot easier to increase the amount of time. So maybe, you know, you establish a habit at 10 minutes a day and you can increase it to 20 or 30 or whatever um, you need to to learn it um, and and. Yeah, be be proficient in it.
0: I think that's great advice. Uh, Take it, um, you know, one day at a time, not like a giant, you know, uh, you know, studying for a bunch of hours and then you're kind of too tired and you're over it the next day. Um, mm-hmm. When I was just starting, I did one hour. I committed one hour a day. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's really important to to be consistent and find ways to stay motivated and not get burnt out. That's great yeah. advice. Thank you so much for that, Josh. Yeah. All right. So, Josh Brown, thank you so much for coming on the show today, yeah. for telling us about your story. Coming from, I believe it was Ohio, yeah. uh, playing with this Lego uh, slash logo. Was it logo or Lego? Logo is the language. And,
1: yeah, Lego. Yeah, yep.
0: yeah, yeah, c- connected to the computer, and you're writing yep. code and making it move, and then you know, doing it in high school, uh, mm-hmm. you know, getting excited about um, HTML, and then studying in computer science, and then you know, going um, and working for this consulting company, and then you know, really getting passionate about iOS, and then moving to Thailand, and starting your own company, and coming <laughs> back, and yeah. now you know, you're. Um, you know, writing uh, books about Swift and you have mm-hmm. your consulting company still and yeah just thank you for sharing that story with us and for doing all that research and uh, putting that book together as mm-hmm. a resource and yeah I look forward to connecting with you again and seeing you develop as a part of the Swift community we need more people uh, like you to participate and create great resources for everybody because that's how Uh, people like me can can go from you know a lawyer to an ios developer Mm -hmm. um, literally like almost overnight um, but not it took a couple years but (laughs) (laughs) anyway so yeah thank you so much
1: thank you for having me i appreciate it
0: and that's the show ladies and gentlemen i hope you enjoyed listening to the swift coders podcast feel free to share the show with a friend leave a review on itunes or recommend us on overcast If you have any questions, comments, or just want to say hi, contact me on Twitter. Until next time, go swiftly, my friends.